Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey guys, special episode of Yolitics here, uh, really to talk about what we witnessed yesterday at the U.S. Capitol uh, on Wednesday, if you're hearing this on Thursday or Friday. And Jason, I, I must confess, I had to Google something before I started this podcast. And let me ask you. Do you know how many amendments there are to the Constitution? Because I didn't go to law school. Man. See, I didn't know that there was going to be a test here. I would have Googled as well. <laughs> Aren't there 27, 26? You're on Google right now, my friend. I, know, I, I can swear. see you looking down. I, I, I made two guesses, 27 or 26. Well, there are 27, I found out, according to the Google machine. Um, and obviously, there That was are, my first know, answer, by the way, 27. Yes. Uh, the First Amendment gets a lot of attention. The Second Amendment gets a lot of attention. But a couple of amendments that, that I had to Google as well are the 14th and the 25th Amendments. And those are getting a heck of a lot of attention right now on Capitol Hill and circles on cable news. Uh, you name it. People are talking about those because they can do something incredible, and that is remove the President of the United States from power. So mm-hmm. uh, we got on the line right now with us um, from Austin, Texas. We didn't have to go far for this guy. Steve Vladek, he is a professor of law at the University of Texas in Austin. He's a nationally recognized expert on federal courts, constitutional law, national security law, military justice. He's a part of two podcasts. Uh, He's argued cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, widely seen on cable news, and his Twitter account is on fire. And somehow he had time to talk to us today in the middle of all that. He, he got us in. You know, the, Go ahead, Steve. I think there are two, I think, I think there are two of you. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, man. Um, real quick, your Twitter account is Steve underscore Vladek, V-L-A-D-E-C-K. Uh, l- let's just start out with the 25th Amendment. Everyone's talking about the 25th Amendment. Could it be invoked? I- explain what this is, how that would be invoked, what it would take, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, so the 25th Amendment was a response to a glaring ambiguity in the Constitution, um, which is what happens when a president is disabled but not dead, um, right? Which, you know, we had had a couple of times throughout American history and there had been no mechanism for. And so Congress in the 1960s gets together, thinks about it for a while, and ends up coming back with the 25th Amendment, most of which is pretty uncontroversial, right? Most of which deals with the obvious cases where a president is... um, actually deceased, right, formalizing what happens in that circumstance, um, where a president voluntarily needs to relinquish power because, let's say, he's going under general anesthesia for surgery. Um, so that's Section 3 of the 25th Amendment. But the the controversial part, the part that has spawned a whole industry of, you know, dystopic um, fiction, films and movies, Clive Cussler stuff, um, is Section 4, um, which is about how the vice president, together with the majority of the cabinet, um, or at least of the the heads of the executive departments, um, can remove the president even if he disagrees. And we've been hearing, um, and that's, that's and we've we been hearing today that there is at least some discussion, even if it's casual discussion uh, among some in Washington, uh, about the possibility of invoking the Twenty Fifth Amendment. This isn't just one of those cut and dry, easy to th- do kind of things, though. Uh, explain how it works. 
Yeah, I mean, so so section four especially is pretty complicated. The rest of it's pretty straightforward. But section four, the way it works is it starts with a letter from the vice president and a majority of the heads of the departments to the Speaker of the House, the Senate Majority Leader, um, asserting their determination um, that the president is no longer fit to discharge the duties of his office. And that starts the mechanics in motion. Then the question is, and there's actually a flowchart. Um, <laughs> then the question is, does the president respond with his own letter saying, actually, I'm fine? Um, and the idea there is if the president doesn't respond at all, let's say he's been incapacitated um, by some you know, medical, medical issue, right? Then all systems go, the vice president's the acting president, even without the president's consent. If the president comes back and disputes um, his incapacity, then the question is, does the vice president and the heads of departments send a second letter, um, right? Do they stand down once the president has reasserted himself or do they re-up, do they double down? Um, and if they double down, then it goes to Congress. Um, and Congress has 21 days at that point to vote whether to remove the president. And it requires two thirds um, of both houses. So part of why we hadn't heard much about it throughout the Trump administration is because that vote threshold, two thirds of both chambers, um, is higher than impeachment. Impeachment is a majority of the House and two thirds of the Senate. Um, but I think the reason why people are talking about it today is because the 25th Amendment is faster. Um, and if the vice president sent that second letter, then while the House and Senate are figuring out what to do, the vice president's in charge. Do you, do you, um, so it's actually a much quicker way, at least temporarily, of removing the president from, from power. Steve, of course, there's only 13 days left as we record this podcast on Thursday, the 7th of January here. 13 days left in the president's term. Um, and I, I don't I don't think there's political will for it uh, on the Republican side. Have you seen anything to suggest there might be? I, I saw earlier headlines that show Speaker uh, Nancy Pelosi saying if it's not invoked, then she's going to start articles uh, of impeachment again against him. The clock is running out on this, isn't it? Yeah, but I think that's actually part of why folks are gravitating toward it. Um, and what I mean by that is, is you know, I think there's a sentiment here that the 25th Amendment could be invoked, the matter could be kicked to Congress, and they could just run out the clock, where Congress would actually never need to vote one way or the other on whether the vice president was right, because before Congress would have to vote under the terms of the amendment, Trump would be out of office anyway, and so would Pence. Um, and so I think we're in this unique situation only because we're in the last 21 days of the administration. Of course, um, all of this is predicated on the fact that the, the vice president and other members of the cabinet would send that first letter in the first place. And that is hasn't happened. And, and we don't know that that's even close to happening. Uh, and so um, we've been hearing today now about a different amendment, which is the 14th Amendment. Take us down that rabbit hole. Explain that one to us. Yeah, I mean, I think this one is, is, I think, less of an obvious mechanism because it hasn't been used this way before. So, you know, the 14th Amendment, we actually know a lot about the 14th Amendment because that's what applies most of the Constitution to states. Um, so when we talk about Texas violating the federal Constitution, we're actually usually talking about Section 1 of the 14th Amendment. But there's another provision from this post-Civil War Amendment, Section 3, that says no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector, president and vice president or hold any office, including president, um, if having previously taken an oath. Um, yada, 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 um, they shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Mm. And so the idea is that this provision, which, by the way, was used after the Civil War to decline to seat in Congress 
um, Confederates who had been elected from unreconstructed states in the yeah. South, right? The idea is that this provision itself ought to ipso facto disqualify the president from continuing to hold office. Um, guys, I just gotta say, I think that's a, a, a much more of a stretch, um, right? That the way this provision is usually used is Congress can choose to decline to seat someone who has been elected mm. on the ground that they uh, that seating them would be in violation of this provision. I don't think anyone ever thought this would be used to actually oust a sitting president who has been serving, right, for the better part of his entire term. Steve, can you back up and just zoom out for us a little bit here? Did, did you ever anticipate we'd be having a conversation like this? No. Um, no. I mean, I think, you know, I, I have been critical of President Trump, right, for much of his administration. But I think I just I, I don't think I appreciated that we would ever get to a point where we would see this kind of groundswell, um, not just within the Democratic Party, which I think is understandable. But, you know, there are Republicans today, um, both former elected officials and even a few members of the House of Representatives, you know, openly talking about whether it's appropriate to use the 25th Amendment. Um, the president's own handpicked acting secretary of Homeland Security, you know, talking about how, you know, he's hoping to stay on through the transition, but the president needs to understand uh, that what he did yesterday was wrong. Um, and that's, you know, so there are a lot of respects in which I think yesterday surprised a lot of people, including some of the president's to that point closest supporters, Steve, there are, um, which is why we're Steve, here. Steve, there are a lot of people who are saying, you know, uh, this stuff needs to happen right now. We need to either invoke one of these amendments or we need to move to impeach right now. But then on the other side, you hear uh, people saying, you know, why bother with this? John Bolton was saying, do no harm. You know, here we are. We're almost to the finish line here. Uh, you know, there's not enough time left. Uh, but then there's others who say, well, you know, there's a lot more damage that could happen potentially in these coming days. So you, you have arguments going on all sides. Are any of these remedies um, realistic in the kind of time frame that we're looking at here? You, you mentioned, you know, like a 21 day period. That's the maximum. Are any of these realistic that they could actually happen between now and the 20th? So in normal times, guys, I would say no, um, right, that, you know, we would never expect Congress to move that quickly, either on the impeachment front or on the 25th Amendment front. Um, but these are pretty extraordinary circumstances. And, you know, I think a lot of folks who wouldn't have thought we'd even be seriously having this conversation today, 24 hours ago, um, are worried about where we're going to be 24 hours from now. So, you know, as of right now, when you, when the three of us are, are chatting about this, do I think one of these things is actually going to go all the way through before the president's done on the 20th? Probably not. Um, but, you know, I think the concern is what does the president do next? A president who still has, you know, refused to accept that he lost, right? A president who is still the commander in chief of the armed forces. So, you know, I don't know that we're there yet, but I also am not sure that there's that much more that the president would have to do to convince enough members either of his own cabinet um, or of his caucus in Congress that the time has come for this kind of drastic action. And, you know, if that time comes, I do think folks can move very quickly if they really feel impelled to do so. Steve, of course, this is a highly fluid situation, but have you seen anything to suggest anywhere that the vice president might even consider such a thing like the 25th Amendment? So, I mean, obviously, no. Um, and there was there were a couple reports that I saw uh, today that in, indeed he hasn't even been returning calls from the Speaker of the House and the Senate Minority Leader about, you know, his, his views on this. And so, obviously, I mean, this is why a lot of this is just talk. 
because you know the relevant sort of triggering event hasn't happened. The, the vice president hasn't done anything. Um, the House of Representatives hasn't even voted on impeachment articles, even though I believe a couple of members have introduced resolutions today. So you know, I, I think the the we're getting a bit over our skis here, but I think the what what yesterday I think um, um, uh, broke a lot of folks you know pretensions um, about sort of just how bad things can get between now and the twentieth. And so I think with that in mind, you know, we're having this conversation now because if we see yet another event where the president engages in similar behavior between now and the 20th, you know, is that going to be enough to actually incentivize someone like the vice president, someone like, you know, Senate Majority Leader McConnell to actually get behind one of these measures? But looking forward here, if any of these potential remedies did go forward and actually succeeded, there is a chance that that would make uh, President Trump something of a martyr in the in the eyes of a lot of his hardest core supporters. So I'm, I'm thinking further out from that, would any of these remedies prevent him from seeking elected office again in the future? So one of them would. Um, and I think that's the other part of this conversation is that impeachment. Um, so if, if, a, if a federal officer is impeached by the House and then successfully removed by the Senate, the Constitution in Article 1, Section 3 provides that he can be disqualified from ever again holding federal office. Um, there's some debate, guys, about whether that's automatic if he's removed or whether the Senate actually has to take a second vote on whether he's not just removed but also disqualified. But I mean, yeah, I think, you know, for folks who are trying to figure out, you know, whether Donald Trump is actually a serious candidate in 2024 and whether that actually might be a very harmful thing, that's another part of this calculus, which is that at the far end of a very hypothetical successful removal trial in the Senate, is the Senate's constitutional authority to disempower him from ever seeking federal office again. And I think that's not for nothing in this conversation. Steve, of course, this is black and white in our, in our Constitution. But let me ask on the other side of this, if this were invoked, if either of these were invoked, 14th or the 25th Amendments, um, what kind of damage might be done? Would there be any destabilization of our democracy at all using these, even though it's, you know, law? What do you think on that, man? Yeah. I mean, I think, guys, it's, it's a terrible precedent either way. And, and I think that's that's why I think so many folks are are really struggling with this. You know, folks of, of incredibly good faith and well-meaning uh, are struggling with this very issue as we're sitting here talking, because, you know, I think the question is, what is the lesser of two evils? Um, leaving a president who did what he did yesterday, you know, with no punishment, with no consequence, um, even if nothing else goes wrong in the next 13 days, right, sending no message to future presidents that this is actually something that won't be abided or further enraging the president's very large base of supporters um, for whom any adverse action I think is going to be perceived as a betrayal um, and might only you know further inflame tensions that are obviously already running quite I high. have a question that has a little bit of a preamble to it because I'm looking at those shelves there behind you in our Zoom call and they're loaded with law books. Did you have to dust off any of those uh, as all of this was taking place and actually read through it again? We know that these documents are living and they you know have to be reread and interpreted. You know, it's, it's, there's there's a small group of us in the in the legal academy who, for better or for worse, have always been attracted to these you know hilariously obscure questions of constitutional law and presidential power. Partly because you know there's not that much written about them. Partly because it's fun to think about hypotheticals. Partly because you know Clive Cussler and you know uh, uh, Tom Clancy novels you know give us ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'll just say um, this is not an area of constitutional law in which there's a lot of practical experience. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's true as much for you know someone like me, a con law professor, as it is for you know the most important political actors in this conversation. Well, now that I've laid that predicate, I, I should ask going forward, now that we have inched up to this line here in this country where this is actively being debated in the halls of government, do you foresee there being an appetite going forward beyond all of this once we get past January 20th, uh, maybe once we get past this year, is there an appetite from where you sit to clarify things. we Yeah, we have 27 amendments, as Jason uh, Googled uh, earlier today. We haven't seen one in a long time, though. Do you think that there's a, a push or, or a motivation to clarify things when it comes to presidential power and the possibility of removing a president? Uh, no doubt, although I have to say, on my wish list of things in the Constitution I would clarify, mm. you know, the 25th Amendment's pretty recent and pretty not straightforward but at least you know not 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 in the realm of the le- of the most grievously ambiguous <laughs> provisions I, I think that i think that the point that i try to make to my students and i hope you know everyone whether they like the president hate the president don't care about the president take away from this you know there are a lot of um rules in our system that we have assumed for a long time are mandates and that increasingly appear to be norms mm. Um, where under the right circumstances with the right alignment of political factors, the rules actually don't have much of a constraining effect. Um, And so I would love to see a conversation across a broad spectrum of issues of how we can actually codify more of the things that we thought were already rules about the separation of powers, about you know the president's responsibilities, about Congress's power to to conduct oversight. And, And that's what I hope at least some folks in the Biden administration and the 117th Congress are gonna be thinking about once you know, President Trump, one way or the other, right, is no longer in office. Steve, is there anything that the president could do to pardon himself to kind of, you know, it's a loophole to get around either of these amendments if it got that far? Um, so, you know, back into the land of obscure con law debates, um, there's never been a self-pardon. And so therefore, there isn't a lot of law about okay. self-pardons. Um, the general consensus is that it probably is not constitutional for the president to pardon himself. But I think it would, in any event, backfire if he did, right, for two reasons. The first is, even if he pardoned himself and could, all that absolves him of is responsibility for federal offenses, um, right? A, a pardon from the president of the United States doesn't have any effect on state criminal offenses, whether under Texas law or, in Trump's case, New York law. Um, and, you know, insofar as I think the president might face meaningful criminal exposure after he's president, I think New York is where a lot of that's going to be. But, you know, second, if he did it, he really would be provoking um, the Biden Justice Department in a way that they wouldn't be provoked if he didn't, right? I mean, if, if the Biden Justice Department was otherwise inclined to not go after President Trump, to leave him to the New York state authorities, um, you know, a president who self-pardons is daring his successor to prosecute him because that's the only way you could ever test the validity of the self-pardon. All right, the only way a court would ever be able to decide is if you actually tried to prosecute the president for the thing he pardoned himself for and had a court rule on whether the prosecution could go forward. So I just think it would be a hugely strategic mistake um, even if it might be within his constitutional authority. I want to ask you this because you've been talking a lot about 25th Amendment, 14th Amendment uh, here in this last day or so. Uh, you've been putting out a lot of stuff on social media. Uh, what has the response been like uh, there on social media? I saw just uh, minutes ago that you had tweeted out that it looked like Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton had actually blocked you on Twitter. Yeah, that's a first for me. Um, I'm I'm not an especially like I I have strong views, but I also try to be as respectful as possible in conveying them. You know, I, I one of my only rules about Twitter is never curse. 
um, which as a New Yorker is actually pretty hard <laughs> for me. Um, you know, I, I think social media is is both helpful and a part of the problem, mm. um, right? In that it is a remarkable platform. I think you just got a lot of amens folks. out there when you said yeah, that. Right. It's, I mean, it's, guys, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because it's a remarkable platform for public education. It's a remarkable platform for news gathering. It's a remarkable platform for just being aware of what's going on. But there's so much bile and vitriol mm. and nastiness. And, you know, I think the that's to be expected from anonymous accounts, um, right? I, it, it's more surprising when it comes from public officials. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that I, you know, regret the most about the last four years is the, you know, the increase, the bloom going off the rose of public officials maintaining decorum, even on social media. Steve, last thing, if you had to uh, hop on a plane and go to Vegas, what kind of odds would you put down that either one of these amendments are invoked over the next 13 days? Um, I, I, I go with the house, man. I, I you know, I, I don't think, I don't think we're going to see a 25th amendment invocation. I don't think, you know, I think that the, the 14th amendment discussion, I think it's going to be more of a forward looking conversation about what to do with all the members of Congress, um, who were either, you know, who may, who were at least some degree actively supporting some of the events of yesterday. Um, you know, if I were betting on whether the house passes articles of impeachment yeah. between now and the 20th, I might put some money on that. Hmm. Um, but not necessarily on the Senate voting to remove him. Yeah, and you know, and, and that might be the sort of awkward, equivocal place where the Trump presidency. Ha, have there ever been two presidents impeached, to your knowledge? Um, so uh, I'm no sorry, president's one, ever been impeached one, twice. Yeah, one president impeached twice. Yeah, yeah, where uh, no, am I? Pre- no, no federal officer's ever been impeached twice. Wow. Um, hmm. But you know, I mean, guys, no president's ever been removed. Hmm. Um, right. I mean, the, the impeachment procedure has never actually succeeded, at least formally. I mean, of course, it helped to convince Nixon to resign. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of history running against efforts to actually remove the president from office before his term is up on, on January 20th. And I think that's why, you know, that's the balance here is all the historical precedent cutting one way and just the unprecedented nature of the president's conduct on the other hand. And that's that's what everyone's trying to grapple Steve, with. Steve, before we let you go, can I ask you one quick trivia question related to Texas since uh, Jason started us off with trivia today? Because I was bragging uh, about this knowledge earlier with him, and I don't even know if it's right for sure. The 25th Amendment, did that, didn't that come about because of a Texas tie, because of what happened to President Kennedy in Dallas, uh, and it was sort of that moment of awakening, like, whoa, we need a procedure for what if a president lived but was on life support and that sort of thing? So that was, I mean, I think that, you know, just the conversation had started before the assassination of JFK, but I think, you know, that event really, that event and um, the fact that there was a period of time where the where President Johnson had no vice president, mm-hmm. um, because before the 25th Amendment, there was no mechanism for the confirmation of a vice president if the vice president became the president. Those two things together, I think, were the real impetus that finally motivated Congress to get the thing done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the... The, everyone, I think everyone understood the need for sections one, two, and three, um, the uncontroversial part. And folks generally agreed on the need for section four, but also hoped it would never actually, we'd never come to a pass mm. where it would have to be invoked. Um, and I think, you know, there are a lot of folks who are still hoping that even today. Yeah, we shall see what happens. Uh, enlightening conversation, Steve. Thanks for making time for us. And next, Guys, my pleasure. Love the podcast. Next time we're in Austin, we're going to buy you a beer, man. Yeah. Um, hey, you know, hopefully hopefully we can do that in person. Usually, awesome. We do usually have one with this podcast, and today it feels like one of those days, but uh, we are trying to put this together in an emergency fashion. But uh, thank you for making us smarter today. This, th- this is the first podcast in which anyone has ever uttered the phrase ipso facto. So thank you for that. (laughs) 
That's, you know, I, I, I don't get paid unless I use a little bit of Latin. <laughs> nice. That's uh, Steve Lodick there, professor of law at UT in Austin. Uh, good to see you, man. Take care. Likewise, Jen. Thanks Steve, so much. thank you.